I want to start today with a confession of sorts. Uh, although whenever you say that, session gets nervous. This isn't a fireable offense or anything. I am a guy who loves the church year. I really love the church calendar. I pay attention to the seasons. It's sort of the rhythm of my life. Everybody okay? And uh, I really love Lent. I really love Advent. I made a big deal out of Ash Wednesday. But I got to be honest. I have never totally got Palm Sunday. I've never totally got it. I mean, Jesus does all kinds of stuff in his ministry that's really cool. He feeds the 5,000 and he walks on water. And those events, they don't get, they don't get their own Sunday, right? But Palm Sunday, we make a big deal out of and we buy all kinds of palms. And, and I kind of understood the story, but I guess I just never got what the big deal was. Anybody else a little bit like that? What's the big deal about Palm Sunday? It really didn't do much for my faith. Why is the story in all four Gospels? Uh, why does the church give an entire day to it? Why is palms such a huge industry for the flower industry, right? Um, you should have seen when I went and picked up palms yesterday, how many other people were picking up palms. It's this big, is it a racket, you know? What's going on here? And so I decided this week I had to come to terms with Palm Sunday. Because either I'm going to really lean into it for my faith... Or I'm, I'm just not going to, and we're going to make less a big deal out of it. And so this sermon comes out of my wrestling with Palm Sunday, and, and I actually have found some strength in it. So let's get to the story and then try to unpack its meaning for us. Jesus' reputation at this time is really growing. In the last week or so before this, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And he did that in front of a whole bunch of people and... Uh, Lazarus had been dead and in the tomb a couple days. So there's this big reputation going on. And, and people know who Jesus is. He's been traveling for about three years. But all of a sudden, it's really big. Okay, You raise somebody from the dead, your front page news. And everybody's talking about who this Jesus guy is. And he heads to Jerusalem for the Passover. This was not unusual. People came from all over to Jerusalem. The city's population would, would at least go 10 times as big, with some saying as many as 200,000 people pouring into Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Okay, so it is crowded. Okay, this is Times Square crowded on New Year's Eve. Okay, that's what it is. You are you're just squeezing between people to get anywhere in Jerusalem for this whole week of Passover. Many people couldn't stay in Jerusalem because there's just not enough beds. And so you had to stay with family out. And so Jesus is staying in Bethphage and Bethany. Uh, that's where Lazarus and his family is from. That's where uh, they have some friends. And so they're, they're working outside of the city and traveling in a couple miles every day uh, for the festivities. Now, notice how intentional and planned Jesus is. He wants to ride a donkey. Which is interesting because Jesus never rides an animal any other time in the scriptures. Never. He never rides an animal. In fact, he had just walked over 90 miles from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem. He walked all that way. And yet here he is taking about what may be a half mile journey from the part that he rode a donkey on a donkey. So this isn't normal. This isn't like his car. Okay, He's never ridden a donkey that we have any record of except for right here. 
He comes east from the east through the Mount of Olives, east your way, through the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem. And he's orchestrating this. He's planning this. He has the disciples go and get the donkey. He knows where the donkey is. He tells them what to say to get the donkey. Jesus is really, really intentional here. Why? Why get a donkey? Why go through all that? Well, there's a particular verse in Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Stand aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In the Old Testament, David is the shepherd king. He's the humble king. And he actually rides at one point on a donkey into Jerusalem. And so the donkey becomes this symbol of Davidic kings riding into Jerusalem to be praised. And so other kings had also ridden a donkey. Uh, And Israel was looking for a Davidic king. King Herod, who is heard about during his crucifixion, plays a big part in this Holy Week. Uh, He's not totally Jewish. And he doesn't really care about the Jewish faith that much. Uh, Herod, um, uh, this Herod, uh, was not a Davidic king. And so Israel was looking forward to a Davidic king. This person that would come from the line of David to free them from the tyranny of the Romans. Remember, these are a people that are, that are they think this, we are a promised people of God. We are on our promised land and therefore we should be free. And yet here they are waiting for a king to save them because they're not free. They're under the Roman oppression. And they're thinking about these themes because this is the celebration of Passover. Now, a little background. Passover is the festival that celebrates Israel coming out of slavery, out of Egypt. Okay? And there were these ten plagues. Remember this from Sunday school? There's the frogs and the boils and the water, the blood. There's all these plagues. But what's the last plague? The angel of death came into Egypt and, and flew over the doors. And if there was blood over the outside of the door, the angel would pass over that house. Get it? Pass over? That's why they call it Passover. And if there was no blood, the firstborn child in that house uh, would be killed. And so this was the moment that really won the freedom of Israel. They got out of slavery. And so every year you would come together for the celebration of Passover and you would remember how God freed you from slavery. But what are you also thinking when you gather? Well, we're not really free, are we? We're not actually free if uh, we're still under the Roman thumb. And so this was a time where they were looking forward to a Davidic king. Somebody who would rise up and free them from this uh, bondage that they have now. And so they would gather for Passover, thinking not just of Moses and of the freedom from Egypt, but thinking of the freedom that they want now. And part of that celebration was to read from what's called the Halal, which is Psalms 113 through 118. And we don't think about this because we see Psalms as a book in the Bible. But Psalms was a hymnal. Okay? It was a liturgy book. And so you didn't just learn and read the Psalms. You sang them. You cheered them. You, uh, they would be call responses. So somebody would say something and you would say something back like a football game. We don't do that as much. But we do sometimes some call and response things in worship. That's how the Psalms were used. And so as Jesus comes in, riding on a donkey, clearly trying to say that he's part of the Zechariah 9-9 Davidic line, the people start to sing words or cheer words coming from this halal, 
that was part of that same Passover celebration. Let me read Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Well, Hosanna, we just get uh, in this, uh, in our translation, that really just kind of means save us or oh save. It's a little bit hard to translate, but it's sort of a cheer coming out of this verse. Save us. Oh, save, save. And the blessing obviously comes out of that same verse. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then the people were cheering and they added their own line. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. This is the part they don't seem to get. This is the part the disciples are even going to struggle with the rest of this week and until the ascension. And even when Jesus ascended, they're going to say, are you now going to start your kingdom? They're expecting an earthly kingdom. They're expecting a savior of the nation of Israel. And Jesus is so much more than that. The people laid out their cloaks so that the donkey uh, does not walk on the ground. This is the royal homage. Uh, the people do this for King Jehu in 2 Kings 9, actually. So there was a tradition that when the king came by, you would throw things on the ground and uh, they would then not have to walk on the ground. It was a, a place of honor. Now, they also waved palm branches. And our translation here from Mark didn't say that, but one of the other books does say that. Why palms? Well, think about it. They're from the desert, right? Are there a lot of palms in the desert? No, there's not that many. Okay, there are big stretches where there's nothing. And so if you're traveling through the desert and when you see palms, what do you think? Oasis, we got water over there, we got shade over there, we got rest over there. So in those cultures, the palm was a symbol of oasis. It was a symbol of peace. It was a symbol of refreshment. It was a symbol of, of filling yourself. A lot of palm branches in, in Israel would have dates on them so that you could actually eat. The sap could be used in a sweetener to make wine. So palms become a symbol of blessing and fertility. Palm trees are even carved on the walls of the temple in Jerusalem to, to, to try to describe that this place, this temple is an oasis. Okay? Palms become this great symbol of Israel. And it's used in a lot of the religious ceremonies, such as the Feast of the Tabernacles, which happened in the fall, where by then the palm branches would re be really big and uh, the Jewish people would gather and they would make tabernacles. They sort of meant little, make little huts in their, in their yard out of palm branches and stay in them. Um, so palms become this great symbol of Israel and of God's providence and oasis for them. It's a symbol because they are in the promised land, an oasis in the desert full of milk and honey. So do you see what has happened here? Jesus has orchestrated this parade in from the east where he is shown to be the savior and the king. He rides on a donkey like the Davidic kings. They're praising him out of the Psalms. They're waving the national symbol at that time, the palm branch. They're saying, save us, save us. He's somewhat triumphant, and some of the other gospels seem to portray him even more like that. But at the same time, especially here in Mark, he's humble. He's riding on a donkey. He's walking right into this imagery. And he's letting the people praise him. Why? Because he deserves it. He is the king. 
So hopefully you're starting to see the big themes and the big claims that Jesus is making in this story. But I think what also helps to understand what's going on in the story, you have to understand that Jesus was not the only parade that day. There were, in fact, three, maybe four parades that happened that day. In Israel, Jesus came from the Mount of Olives to the east, but, but Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who was the prefect for Judea and Samaria on behalf of the Roman government, he would have also paraded in that day. He would have paraded in riding on a horse, triumphant, accompanied by a Roman garrison, maybe as many as a thousand soldiers. But why did the Roman leader feel like they need to do that? Well, here is a whole bunch of Jewish people crowded in the street, okay, talking about gaining freedom and celebrating the fact that God is their deliverer. This is a perfect moment, a perfect environment for insurrection. Okay? This is a perfect setup for rebellion. And if you don't think the Romans know that, the Romans really know that. And so they march in. They parade in from the west to say who's in charge. In fact, Herod, who is up in Samaria, uh, probably King Herod would have done the same thing. Probably would have had his own parade from the north. So there's all these other political parades going. It's a demonstration of Roman imperial power. It's a reminder of who is in charge, how the world works, and whose gods are really in power and what happens if you mess with Rome. And there's a reason why the Romans did a crucifixion on that week too, by the way. They did a crucifixion because it was another show of who is really in charge. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes, the priests, the religious leaders, they had sort of parlayed a peace with the Romans. Okay, so in these stories, you're going to find that they have a pretty good relationship with the Romans. Why? Because they're trying to keep the peace so that they're allowed to basically worship and lead the way they want to. Okay, what they don't want is the Romans coming in and destroying everything, even destroying the temple as had been done before. And as they were right to fear because it would happen again towards 70 AD to never be built again. So the Pharisees and scribes are nervous about all this symbolism with Jesus. Uh, in Luke, it says this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teachers, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Pharisees know this is not good. Okay? What we don't want is Pilate and Herod getting excited about a potential Davidic king riding into Jerusalem. Okay? This is not good for us. This is not good for the people because Rome will squash this in a hurry and violently. But what does Jesus say? If they wouldn't sing, the rocks would. Okay, Jesus understands he is worthy of the praise he's giving. He's being given, even if it's misunderstood. Now, we've got a parade from the east. We've got a parade from the west. Probably Herod from the north, too, very much like the parade from the west. But we also have a parade from the south that day. This is the festival of Passover. And at Passover, you and your family were supposed to get a lamb. And the lamb was supposed to be without blemish, but it was supposed to be your lamb. So this is tricky. What if you don't have a lamb? What if you don't have a lamb that's without blemish? Well, the lambs would all be brought from where they were raised, all the best lambs, into Jerusalem that day. By the way, where were the lambs raised? Bethlehem. 
Bethlehem, where David was a shepherd and where Jesus came, that's where the, the lambs were born and raised. We know shepherds are still there in these days because remember Jesus' birth, shepherds come and see his birth. So all the best lambs parade up from Bethlehem into Jerusalem, normally being led by the high priest. And the high priest would have one lamb that was the perfect lamb. And normally this lamb would be the lamb that was sacrificed at the end of the week on behalf of all of Israel. And he would put this lamb on his shoulders and carry that lamb. Because that was a lamb you did not want to trip and fall and skin its knee. Because then it's not perfect anymore and it can't be the perfect lamb. So there was this big Jewish celebration where the priest would lead in all these lambs. And what you would do is you would buy a lamb that day. And you would keep it all week with your family. It'd be in your house. Okay, you would play with it. You would know it. You would name it. And then at the end of the week, as they started the Passover sacrifices, your family would bring the lamb before the people, or before the priest. And you'd have to convince the priest that you really loved your lamb, that it was your lamb and not just a bought lamb. And if the priest was convinced of that, your lamb would be sacrificed. And then at the very end of the day, on Friday, the priest would sacrifice the Passover lamb on behalf of all Israel. And that would be the very last sacrifice. And they would do that at such a time where the priest could clean up because you're not allowed to work after the sunset. So it'd have to be done so that the priest could clean up all the sacrifices. And amazingly, that lamb was sacrificed at three o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. Anybody know what time Jesus died, according to the Gospels? Three o'clock on Friday. Okay? Because they have to have time to take the bodies down, to to, uh, put them in the tomb, because they can't work on them on the Sabbath, and then they can come back on Sunday and finish preparing the bodies. And we're going to talk next week about how when they go to find Jesus' body and finish the work on Sunday, it's not what they expect. But that lamb that's going to be slaughtered and killed at the same time Jesus dies is paraded in from the south that day. See, Jesus is not just critiquing, uh, um, not just walking into this imagery. He's also directly relating to and critiquing these other parades. Jesus is coming in, not as Pilate would have, not with all this power, but he's coming in humbly to say that's not what true power looks like. That's not what real power looks like. That is not where the real authority is. And he comes in on the same day of this parade of lambs to say, you know, there's a different kind of sacrifice that's coming. There's a different kind of lamb that's coming that's going to bring saving grace. And he's really doing this intentionally. In fact, he really ticks off all the leaders. Okay, Jesus is picking a fight, you understand? No wonder by Friday they tried to crucify him. No wonder by Friday, because he's critiquing both of their systems. He's getting everybody mad. Jesus is not accidentally crucified. You understand? This is really, really important. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's going to the cross. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, he continues to travel towards Jerusalem, towards Jerusalem, because he's intentionally heading to the cross. He's picking the fight. He's critiquing these people, and he's saying, I'm something else. They think they will defeat him on Friday. But his death will mark not his defeat, but his victory. For he is the true lamb that paraded in Jerusalem on this day and died for freedom on Friday. But I also think 
With all this praise and with all this adulation, this must have also been a pretty lonely day for Jesus. I imagine him sad. He knows that Thursday he will be betrayed. He knows that Friday crowds will cheer at him again, but they will yell out, crucify him. Not save us. He knows the pain ahead of him. He knows no one will understand. He knows Judas will betray him. Peter will deny him. And all his disciples will abandon him. He knows people won't understand. In fact, there are still people today that question what he did and why he did it. Yet he is a king. And he does come to save. And he does come to bring freedom. And he is the ultimate Passover sacrifice. He comes not to save Israel, though, but to save the whole world. And I think when you start to understand this story in context, you gain a different appreciation, at least I have, for the spirituality of Palm Sunday and the importance of Palm Sunday. Because Palm Sunday isn't just Jesus entering into Holy Week. Palm Sunday is our entrance into Holy Week. It's our parade. It is our call to question what has authority in our lives and how we are trying to save ourselves and what expectations we have of Jesus. It is a call to worship for Holy Week, a call to pay attention to the story, to strip away our wrong assumptions and to view Christ's sacrifice and resurrection with new eyes. It helps us get ready for Holy Week. It helps us get ready for Easter, you understand? And so I have a different appreciation of Palm Sunday now than I think I ever have. And I hope that you do too. And I hope it sets you up to have eyes open wide and ears to hear in fresh ways this week what Christ might say to you in Holy Week. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your work for us. We confess that like those in the crowd, we don't totally understand it all the time. And we get bad understandings. We get misconceptions about who you are and what what you've done. So help us. Teach us. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.